Well, I'm glad to see you here today. I hope you're glad to be here today. And I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. We've been doing a study through 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and uh, we also had a, a time when we were studying the life of Peter, starting with Peter in the uh, Gospels and then the book of Acts and then uh, into his writings to see what we can learn from this guy who walked with Jesus Christ. Now, I chose this picture on purpose to go with growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why do you think I picked a picture like this? Yeah, once it's not just necessarily one step at a time, that's true, but there's always room for growth. See, when this picture ends, it's, it's a series of terraces. I think they're growing rice in these terraces, and it's going up the hill, and, and in the picture, it doesn't stop. It just goes right on up the hill and, and keep going. Uh, you see, I can tell, I can prove that you have room for spiritual growth. You're still breathing. And, and when you stop breathing, then you mature instantaneously. You go to be in the presence of Christ. But until you are with Christ, you have room for growth. And the Bible doesn't specifically t- spell it out, but I think that we'll keep growing in heaven. I think this is just the beginning of it because this is the life that God has for us. And God is so beyond us, we could grow forever and not catch up. Uh, so we will always have room for growth. But but Peter has has ministered, he's preached sermons, thousands of people have been saved. The first time he preached publicly, 3,000 people got saved. And uh, the first time I preached publicly, it was pretty exciting, three people got saved. Uh, and that, that was amazing. That was my first sermon in church. I'd, I'd spoken at other places, but... Uh, but 3,000, and then the next time 5,000, and then pretty soon they just said multitudes. They, they couldn't even count all the people that were coming to Christ. And then Peter matured, and he grew, and then he started writing these letters to believers who were out there uh, in the world in that first century. And he wanted to encourage them. And he wanted to uh, encourage them specifically because they were going to be facing hard times. There were going to be difficulties there was going to be suffering. And he wanted to strengthen them and equip them and, and get them spiritually strong to face those circumstances. And, and so he wrote all through First Peter. And then he wrote in Second Peter. He said, I'm going to remind you about things you already know. And I'm going to remind you again, because after I'm gone, I want you to be able to remember them. He was like nagging them spiritually to get them to connect and learn and grow. And, and now he comes down. These are the last words recorded of Peter. There's not another sermon preached that is recorded. There's not another message written that is recorded. History tells us that Peter was crucified for the Lord. Some say he was crucified upside down because he said he didn't deserve to die the way his Savior died. Uh, we don't know that for a fact. That's just what some historical records say. But Peter died for his faith. And so you could kind of say these are the last words of a dying man. The last message of a man who wants to make sure the people who have followed the Lord keep 
following the Lord. And so at the end of Second Peter, at the end of the third chapter, we find these last two verses, beginning in verse 17. You therefore, beloved. Beloved, those are, that's the way they talked about brothers and sisters in Christ. Beloved. Since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. There were some believers who were falling away. Jesus described it in a parable as as those who believed, but then they got choked out by the cares of this world. And that was taking place even back in Peter's day. But in verse 18, he says, But grow! Don't fall away, but grow. Don't be led away, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Someday we're going to stand with the Lord in heaven, and there will be throngs of people, potentially billions of people, who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and we're going to sing, Worthy is the Lamb, and we're going to praise the Lord together. Megan went to a ladies' retreat with uh, my sister-in-law, her aunt. And while they were there, the ladies were all singing. It was just a group of ladies. How many were there? Do you know? She's not a counter. So there was a bunch of ladies. Uh, um, would they call that a cackle of ladies? I'm, I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm just curious. You know, you have a murder of crows. Yeah. I may be walking home after church. (laughs) So there was a whole bunch of ladies, and they were singing. And they broke into four-part harmony, and she said it was just amazing. And you know what I think? I think in heaven we'll all be able to sing. And and some of us struggle with it. I remember I was in a preaching in a church, and I was on the front row, and I'm singing, and I'm waiting to, I was a guest speaker, and I'm waiting to step up and preach for the pastor. And he leans over to me, and he says, you better stick to preaching, brother. <laughs> but I think in heaven, even the Lord will be happy to hear my voice. The Lord's already happy to hear my voice. But in heaven, other people will be too. But, but listen, we are going to worship God together. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be spectacular. And you know what God wants to see right now? He wants to see you getting ready for that. You practicing. You moving closer to Christ. And so Peter challenges, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he challenges the believers out there at large, as this letter is going to get distributed all over the known world and preserved for us today, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to grow and mature in Christ. And so this morning... In a little bit, we're going to look at a bunch of different scriptures, but for right now, we're we're just going to look at a couple of ideas, some different ways that you can know Jesus, different levels of knowledge. Okay, The first is knowing Jesus as a person. Knowing Jesus as a person. The Via Dolorosa, that's the way he walked, carrying the cross and then falling under the burden of it as he went to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. Jesus actually lived. If somebody tells you, I don't believe in Jesus, you could say to them, he really lived. 
There's historical evidence that Jesus lived. He was born just like you, sort of. He was born supernaturally, miraculously, born of a virgin. But he started out as a little baby just like you started out as a little baby. And isn't it amazing how cute little babies can be? And then, oh, anyway, we'll not go there. But but you can know Jesus as a person, a historical person who lived about 2,000 years ago. A little more than 2,000 years ago he was born. A little less than 2,000 years ago he died. But Jesus really lived. And you can know him as a person because historians have written about him. He is one of the best known people in human history. One of the most well-known individuals in the history of the world. And even those who do not trust and follow him have to recognize that Jesus has, has a profound impact on world culture. Jesus. He really lived. So you can know Jesus as a person, and that's where some people are. They believe Jesus was a good man, maybe even a prophet, but they don't recognize him as the Son of God. Secondly, you can know Jesus as he is revealed in Scripture. Where would you go in Scripture to learn about Jesus? All of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can read about his birth in Matthew and Luke. You can read about his life in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. You can read some of the prophecies about the Messiah that would come in the Old Testament. Uh, you can listen to the messages that he preached on the hillside, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, out in the valley, the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, you can learn lessons from Jesus, how he taught to take care of other people and, and to look out for others. So you can know Jesus as he is revealed in Scripture. You can read through the parables that he taught. You can read through the sermons and lessons. You can read the interviews that people had with him, one-on-one, -on -one, like Nicodemus, and, and the conversations with people like he had with the woman at the well. And so you can learn about Jesus as he is revealed in Scripture. A third way is knowing Jesus as your Savior. Knowing him as your Savior. And so we're going to come back to Second Peter uh, but I want you to turn to Romans chapter 3. We're going to walk, walk through just a few verses of what's sometimes called the Roman road, how you can know Christ as your Savior, uh, and just see how knowing Jesus as your Savior changes the relationship dynamic. You're not just learning about a historical person or reading about him. Now you're, you actually have a relationship with him. Look in uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. It says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now, have you known some really good people? Yeah, I've known some really good people, great people, honorable people, kind people, gracious people. There's none righteous, no, not one. See, Isaiah says when God looks at our righteousness... It's hard to say. At our righteousnesses, uh, it's hard to add that extra as. But when God looks at all the righteousnesses of your entire life, in God's eyes, because God is so miraculously, amazingly holy, your righteousness looks like a filthy, bloody rag. 
the best of humanity looks awful compared to the holiness of Jesus Christ. Because in the best of people, we're just arguing over layers of dirt, right? But God is in the heavens. So there's none righteous, no, not one. Look at verse 23. Read it with me. John, I'm sorry, Romans 3.23, ready? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does it mean to fall short? Have you ever watched pole vault? You know what they do with pole vault? They have a big pole, and and it's fiberglass, and it's flexible. Well, it's not fiberglass anymore. They're a polymer. Uh, But they take that pole, and they run. They actually sprint, and then they jam that pole into this little hole in the ground, and there's a stop on it. And as they're sprinting, they jam that pole in, so the front of the pole stops. But the rest of the pole keeps moving because the guy's running with it, and then that pole bends. And then that person ends up hanging upside down on a U-shaped pole, pushing their feet up. And they go, and the goal is to get their feet up over the bar and then clear their body over the bar and then push off the pole and let go. And then you fall down in a nice little mat. You know, when they first started doing pole vault, they were using steel poles and they landed in a sawdust pit. Yeah, and they still did it, you know. Uh, maybe they landed head first too many times. I don't know. But but see, that pole vault and, and that bar that's up there, if you brush it, it wobbles. And if it wobbles and stays, you're okay. But if it wobbles and falls down, you miss out. You know what God says? You all knock the bar down. Every one of us, we fell short. We didn't just come close, brushing the bar, and it barely falls off. We went right under the bar. Have you ever seen that in pole vault? It's especially funny when you do watch high school pole vaulting, and he, one person, he does it great, and the next person goes right under the bar, just, just totally misses. But we all fell short. The nicest person in this room fell short of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now look at chapter 6 and verse 23. Now pretend you've never seen this before and pretend it stops after the first phrase, okay? So you can't read the rest of it. We'll just read the first phrase. So uh, chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Now in chapter 3, there's none righteous, all have fallen short, All are sinners. The wages of sin is death. Are things looking good for you right now? You're a sinner. What happens to sinners? They die. And it's not just stopping breathing. It's suffering in hell. That's the death of those who reject Christ. So if that were the last thing the Bible said, we'd all be doomed. But aren't you glad this verse doesn't stop? For the wages of sin is death, and one of the best words in all of Scripture. But, but, but's this huge transaction, transition. You were lost in sin, but God in His righteousness saved you. And so He says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. How hard do you have to work to receive a gift? You can't earn a gift. 
Now, I know there's places that say, you make a contribution to us, and we will send you a gift as a thank you. But if we don't get your money, you don't get your gift. That's not really a gift. They're trying to bypass the tax laws to call it a gift when they're really getting a contribution from you for it. A gift is something you cannot earn, you don't buy, you cannot borrow, you cannot steal. All you can do is receive a gift. Now, he even tells us how to do that. Look in chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Look in verse number 9. That if you confess with your mouth. When I'm trying to talk to people about leading them to Christ, I'll, I'll stick their name in here. So I would say something like that. If you, Gary, that if Gary would do this, then, then Gary could be saved. So you can stick your name in there. When it says you, you can say I. Uh, so in verse uh, 9 again, uh, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, some people stop. They say, that's it. It's a transaction. You trust Christ. But Christ doesn't ever just ask you to be saved. He calls you to follow him. So knowing Christ as your Savior is not the end of the story. It's just part of it. And take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're in Romans, then 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, then Ephesians. It's a small book. Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, as we're looking at Ephesians, uh, we're going to do part of it, and so keep it open because we're going to come back to it in a little bit. But 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so Ephesians 2 8 and 9 tell us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Yesterday we had a picnic out at the park, had 90 some people out there, and, uh, and we were playing, uh, well, we weren't, they were. They were tossing water balloons back and forth, and then they were stepping back and, and tossing and, and trying to catch it without breaking it. And uh, I think only one ended up not breaking it, and they won. And, and then they started over, and some of them got a long way away. I mean, they, they were pretty far away. They were like as far as I am from Mark, and, and they were tossing that water balloon back. And, and then if they didn't catch it quite right, splatter, you know. And, and then we buried them in the sand, so they got all... St- no, we didn't really, but I thought about it, but no one would join me. Knowing Jesus as your Savior, you're receiving a gift. Yesterday, there were bragging rights. If you won the volleyball game or if, if you won the, the uh, water balloon toss, you could brag about it. We won! We earned this! But you can't brag about your salvation. It's a gift. 
The only way you can brag about your salvation is you can say, God is so amazing! Jesus Christ died for me and saved me, and I received the free gift of salvation. Isn't God amazing? You can't say, I'm amazing. You can't say, look at me, I'm saved. I earned this. You can't earn it. So the only bragging you can do is about your wonderful, amazing Savior who saved you even though you were a sinner because you confessed your sin and and you believed in His death, burial, and resurrection to purchase your salvation and you trusted in Him. So you can know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, there's no age limitation. We have some young kids in here who trusted Christ. Um already. We have some older folks in here who trusted Christ when they were young kids. But we all come to Christ the same way. We believe and trust in Him, and we receive His free gift of salvation. He calls us to be saved. The Holy Spirit stirs in us this desire to know God, and then we receive the gift of salvation. So, but there's another level to knowing Jesus as your Lord. Knowing Jesus as your Lord. It's in this picture, I have a guy kneeling before the cross. Uh, I don't like pictures of Jesus. For one thing, you know, that, that most famous picture of Jesus by an Italian painter, Jesus looks Italian, he was Jewish. Um, and, and he had his hands praying like this. Is that how you pray? I don't most of the time we pray like this or or don't sometimes people pray like this that it, it, it but and his hands look kind of delicate. Jesus worked as a carpenter and a builder in an age when you had to cut down your own trees. You didn't go to the mill and get the wood you wanted to use. You had to do the work. And see pro- probably had massive gnarled even scarred hands. We know they're scarred after the crucifixion but they probably had little scars before the crucifixion from all that woodworking and building that he did. But knowing Jesus as your Lord, I asked you to keep your Bible open there in Ephesians 2. We just read verses 8 and 9. What do you think comes after verse 9? Verse 10. Yes. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Now remember Jesus was a carpenter and he shaped things. And he worked with woods. And I, I have a horse over in my study, a wooden horse. Well, it's actually Megan's, but it's sitting in my study. And I bought it down in Cuba. And the guy who carved that horse had a chipped chisel and a piece of coral. And that's all he had. But he shaped it and molded it. And so it looks smooth. It's beautiful with a chipped chisel and a piece of coral. I thought, man, if that guy was in the United States and had all the tools that we have available to woodworkers, he'd really make some amazing stuff. But we are the Lord's workmanship. You are his workmanship. Look what else it says. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Notice it doesn't say created in Christ Jesus to have wonderful feelings that you're saved and on your way to heaven. Created in Christ Jesus to be able to go to church and sing with a bunch of people and just really appreciate it. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That you're supposed to do 
good works. So if I were to ask you, name three of the good works you did for Jesus Christ last week. Could you instantly come up with them? We had an old deacon in our church in uh, Saborita, um, and he would go up to our kids and he'd say to them, hey, do you kids get paid to be good? And they'd say, no. He'd say, oh, then you're good for nothing? You know, there might be some good for nothing Christians if they're not doing good works. We don't do good works to earn salvation. It's a gift we receive. We do good works because we've been saved. It's kind of like this. You are on your way. You're driving down the road, and you notice the bridge is out. There's no sign, nothing, but you notice the bridge is out. You see, okay, there's a danger there. Now, you're on a road. What are you going to do, turn around and just drive away? Are you going to try and stop other cars? Because there's other cars behind you. You could see them in your mirror. So you're going to get out on the road, and you're going to say, stop, stop. And you know what's going to happen? I mean, Travis might be out there on the road trying to stop people, and they'll say, hey, Travis, good to see you. And they'll just keep going. Is he responsible for what they did? No. But we have to do good works. And, and there's a cause, there's a reason, and there's lots of good things we can do. Uh, what, one of the things Ben does, he leaves work. He owns his own business. He leaves work on Monday afternoons to go work with some kids, some of whom don't pay very good attention. But he pours his heart into it. And he was teaching them the Bible last week. And they were listening. And so we, we do good works. Now, not, not everybody can do that. But everybody can do something. And if you cannot think of a good work that you can do for the Lord, talk to the deacons. They've got lots of ideas for you. We can find good things you can do. So God has created us to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God, before you were even saved, Before you responded to salvation, God had already planned that once you trusted Jesus Christ, once you responded to the wooing of the Holy Spirit, to the drawing of the Father, and you believed and trusted Him and received that gift of salvation, God had planned even before that that you would then do good works for the Lord. So... um, John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. You you know Jesus as your Lord by serving Him and intentionally choosing to obey His commandments. Do something to serve the Lord. Sometimes obeying Him can be awkward. With um, You can have awkward moments with family or friends. Because you're obeying the Lord. Because you're serving Him. Sometimes your your family won't understand. I tell you, God bless. We had an opportunity to go to Cuba when it was more closed than it is now. And uh, and I can't go back there because of some breathing issues I developed. But, but I went there about a dozen times. And a couple of times Kathy went with me. And, and we'd 
I'd speak at a pastor's conference and she would teach the wives and then we'd go around and minister in churches and, and uh, it, it was a real blessing for us to, to have that opportunity to, to go there and to do that and to, to minister in that way. But I can't do that anymore. I can't serve God in that way. But there's other ways that I can serve God. And, and we need to know and serve the Lord and obey him and and trust him even in difficult times and my my mom had a terrible time with us going to cuba she just fretted and worried she was a basket case because i was going into a communist country to share the gospel and she just didn't think that was safe at all and then when kathy and i both went and and our old that was just in college when we both went the first time yeah and tim and uh, missy came over and they watched our four younger kids moved into our house and, and we were finding rubber bands for years tim can tell you about that amazing rubber band war and uh, but but we had uh, they they watched our kids and we went and my mom was mad that Kathy and I were both going and leaving our kids with other people. and But we felt God calling us to do it. And God blessed, and we saw many come to trust Christ, and, and we were able to encourage pastors and their wives. Kathy had a phenomenal ministry encouraging pastors' wives there, and, and it was a blessing. My mom never, ever liked it. Let me tell you, she does now. She, she's in heaven, and now she totally gets it, okay? But when she was on the earth, she didn't get it, and it really stressed her out. But when you know and obey and trust and follow the Lord as Lord, then you're going to have awkward moments, sometimes with family and with friends, sometimes with yourself, because you want to be comfortable, and he wants you to be conformable, and those are two different things. So everything he allows in your life, he will use for good if you will trust him and if you will grow and, and you will minister to others as a result of that. So you can know Jesus as Lord. But, but then there's another level, a higher level of knowing Jesus, and that is knowing Jesus closely and personally. Knowing Jesus closely and personally. Peter said, grow in grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can know him personally. Peter lived with him, walked with him, ate with him, sailed with him, fished uh, and, and brought the fish to him. Uh, Peter did that. He walked with the Lord for a long time. And, and you and I can't walk with him in that way. But knowing Jesus closely has two prerequisites, two things that you must do before you can know him closely and personally. And the first is to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Trust him as your Savior. Ask him to forgive your sins and save your soul, and he will. And then you can learn to know him personally. But the second thing is following him in obedience following him in obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say, if you love me, enjoy the feeling that you have of knowing me. It's okay to feel emotions about the Lord. In fact, 
If you can't feel emotions about a person who died to save you, there's something wrong with you. But he said emotions aren't enough. You need to obey, not just feel good. Obey. So trust him as your Savior, and then follow him in obedience. And there's two requirements that we have in order to know Jesus up Christ up close and personal. So you have two prerequisites, things you have to do ahead of time. Trust Him as Savior, and then start obeying Him. And then two requirements if you're really going to get to know Jesus closely. The first is faith. Uh, Hebrews 11 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You have to live by faith. Believing and trusting Him for your salvation, and believing and trusting Him during every circumstance of your life. Romans 8.28 says, We know that how many things? All things work together for good. To them that love God, to them were the called according to His purpose. All things. How many of you have faced something this calendar year, 2019, that was really awkward and you wished you didn't have to go through it, it was painful or something like that? Physically painful, emotionally painful. How many of you had to put up with something somebody else did that caused problems in your life? You didn't raise your hand, did you? Oh, good. (laughs) Is it by faith? Faith says, God's going to work this for good. God's going to do good things in spite of this bad thing. Faith is like Joseph all suffering all through his life, Joseph in Genesis, and, and suffering all through his life. And then he comes down, and he's an older guy, and his dad has now finally died, and his brothers come to him. And Joseph says, look, I can look back through history, and I can see that that moment when you sold me into slavery, they sold their own brother into slavery. And he said, that day when you did that, you meant evil against me. But God used it for good. And so you can look back through the history of your life and you can see those awful, ugly moments and say, God's using this for good in my life. Hebrews 13 says, He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We can believe and trust in Him. Faith. You have to have faith if you want to have that close, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, there's a second thing you have to have, and that is focus. You have to have focus. Life is distracting. We see things, we hear things, we're distracted by things. And, and that's normal people. That's not ADHD people. We're constantly bombarded by distractions. And it's just getting worse. So it used to be, well, I'll get into that in a minute. I, I have three things written by people, and, and I don't remember who wrote each one. But, but just listen to these three. They, they're not that long. One of the devil's greatest tools is distraction. That's what Jesus said. They got caught up by the cares of this life. Distraction. Another writes, 
these minor distractions, constant tweeting, text messaging, calendar reminders, anxiety-laced news, take us away from the stillness needed to seek God. The focus, the stillness. Another said, we live in a hyper-connected world. Lack of attention in our 24-7 media-saturated world has become one of the biggest challenges communicators face. Linda Stone, a leadership consultant, describes the current distracted culture as this, a continuous partial attention. That's how we deal with things. A semi-attentive state in which people continually are scanning for opportunities, activities, and contacts. An officer pulled a lady over, and she said, Why did you pull me over? And he said, Seriously? You don't know what you did? She said, I stopped at the stop sign, and when it was clear, I turned right. Why did you pull me over? And he said, Because when you pulled up to the stop sign, there was a motorcycle in front of you. You ran into him, knocked him off his motorcycle, and when you stopped at the stop sign, your tire was sitting on his chest. And then you turned right. And she didn't believe it. But that's exactly what happened. It's called distracted driving. And it happens all the time. In fact, there's all kinds of incidents where people are on their cell phone, you know, and uh, and they got their cell phone in their hand. Pretend this is mine, although mine's black and this is white. All right. So they got their cell phone in their hand, and they're walking along. They're looking at their phone. People walk out in front of cars and get hit. A lady was in a mall. She walked straight into the fountain. It was a recessed fountain. It had a little barrier about this high. She went right over that into the fountain. She sued the mall. Because she fell in their fountain. What do they need to do? Put a pop-up thing on her screen? You're getting close to trouble? There's no way to avoid it. But we, we live with constant distraction. In fact, one of the really scary things to me I see here in town, people walking across the street in a crosswalk, holding their cell phone, looking at their phone. If you're not looking at the cars around just because the sign says it's safe to walk doesn't mean other drivers are paying attention. And and you can get hit. You need to be looking around. Focus requires you to intentionally quiet your heart and listen to the Holy Spirit who will guide you to trust and follow Jesus Christ and not have this fragmented attention. Focus requires you to be silent and be still. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. When Habakkuk described the Lord in his holy temple, he challenged the people, let all the earth keep silence before him. God desires prayer to be a two-way conversation. You talk to him in prayer and you listen. And you have to listen as he speaks through his word and through his spirit. But uh, Elijah said the Lord spoke to him through that still, small voice. God doesn't speak to you by yelling at you. Your spouse might, especially if you don't have your hearing aids in. Your spouse might yell at you. But when God speaks, it's that quiet voice. And if you're distracted by all the stuff going on in our culture, you're never going to hear the quiet voice. You have to intentionally 
Listen. Seven times in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, it says uh, that he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God's saying, I've given you all the equipment you need. Now use it. Pay attention. Focus. How many of you have flown on an airplane? How many of you remember the first time you flew on an airplane? That first time when they started going through, what happens? How you hook your seatbelt up, how you unhook it, where your safety thing is. How many of you that first time, you paid attention? How many of you have paid attention recently in a flight? Most of the time, people tune out. Southwest does it funny. They sometimes present it differently, sometimes in a song, or one of them did it when I was on a plane. She did it like a Dr. Seuss thing. And it was great, and I actually paid attention. But, but we're distracted. And we can come to church distracted. And what you're supposed to be doing while you sit here is listen to me a little bit and listen to the Holy Spirit a lot. And pay attention to what God wants to teach you. I can honestly tell you, I have preached a message and had somebody afterward tell me the Holy Spirit really spoke to their heart when I said, mm, and I didn't say it. And I went back through my message, and it wasn't even in the recording. But she heard the Holy Spirit speaking to her because she was listening. And you need to listen and focus. When I was a kid, I went with a missionary onto the Navajo Reservation, and his name was Brother Mahoney, and uh, he drove crazy. I'm surprised my parents let me go out with him. Uh, But I was in trouble sometimes, and he was trying to help. And so he took me with him, and we went out on the Navajo Reservation, and, and we'd go to different things. And he'd have this big service, and then he'd go visit other people. And in that big service, it could last over three hours. But you know what Native Americans do that, that we don't? And those who live by the tribal rules in that, they wait. They listen. And when an elder is going to tell a story, they will sit, and wait. They won't look at their watch. They won't turn on their phone. They won't put a headphone in their ear. They will wait to hear what's going to be spoken. Now, I'm not saying all those elders have good things to say. I'm saying the practice of listening is a good thing that we need to learn. We need to emulate. We need to act like that. In American culture, we have lost the habit of quietness. Any of you older folks remember this symbol? What what was that symbol? TV was going off the air. When does TV go off the air now? Never. We have more channels, and they're on all the time. And you don't even need TV. You got your computer, you got your phone, everything's all on all the time. Radios 24-7, all kinds of stations, TV, all kinds of channels 24-7, internet, everything's available 24-7. Okay, here's a key to quietness. You have to turn it off. All of that stuff, 
all of your social media engagements. In fact, on your phone, do you know your phone, your smartphone, has the capacity to mute notifications? I turn mine off at night. In fact, if you ever call me for an emergency at night and you go, it goes straight to my voicemail, just hang up, wait 10 seconds, call again, and it'll probably ring through if you have an emergency. Don't try it out just to make sure it works in advance. <clears throat> but if you have an emergency, you can do that. People who are on my, my uh, favorites list, like my wife and my daughter, theirs would automatically ring through to me, but Kathy finds it easier just to reach over and smack me. Uh, but, but you could, which she never does. She says, sometimes you make me look bad. She has never, ever smacked me. I'm not saying she's never wanted to. I'm not saying I've never deserved it. I'm just saying she never, ever has. So, but you can turn it off. You, you know, maybe you like to fall asleep in front of the TV. I don't know how and why, but, but you can set it for a timer to turn off. You have to turn it off. We are bombarded with inputs. And if you want to listen to the input of the Holy Spirit, you have to shut down those other inputs. Every, every one of those things, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Marco Polo, Voxer, texting, email, they all help you connect with people. But they can also block your ability to connect with the Lord. You need focus. You need quietness to listen, to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we had young kids at home, Sometimes the only quietness my wife got is she went in the bathroom and locked the door. You need to find quietness. And I realized, I traveled a lot in business, and I realized that, that I had to give my wife quietness because she was with the kids all the time, and sometimes I'd be gone for two weeks and then be home for three days and then be gone a couple days again and then be back for a week or two. And, and she had a lot. And so when I was there, I had to try and give her quietness. And so there were times when sometimes I would meet her at church and, and uh, I would drive the kids home with me and she'd drive by herself to get a little quietness. But, but you need it. It's not optional. You can't get serious about getting close to the Lord in a busy, noisy culture. You have to step back from it and seek some quietness in your life. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit whose mission is to draw you closer to Jesus Christ. And you can't do it when you're inundated with sound. Peter said, grow in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can grow closer to Him. You can end up having a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But it doesn't happen on accident. And it doesn't happen for everybody. It only happens for those who choose to make that 
a priority of their time and of their life. But the good news is, nobody's disqualified. Everybody has the opportunity. I heard this years ago. I don't remember where I heard it, but it's still true. You are just as close to Jesus Christ as you want to be, as you choose to be. Because Jesus said, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. You are just as close to him as you want to be. So if you want to be closer, God said you can do that. He's just waiting for you to move in the right direction. Father, I pray that you would help us to take seriously our relationship with Jesus Christ. Pray that we would listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks into our hearts and lives. I pray that we would learn and that we would grow. Lord, I thank you for your amazing love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.